Eat, Play, Sleep podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country whose lands were never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Hey mummies, welcome to Eat, Play, Sleep, the podcast for all the families out there looking for all the answers. No matter where you are in your parenting journey, whether you're experiencing the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, we can help you realise that you're not alone. I'm Claire, mum of two and a certified sleep consultant and school teacher. And I'm Alana, mama of two and a school teacher. Pop your headphones in and join us along with our favourite experts to discuss all things eating, playing and sleeping. It's time to spill the tea. Last episode for 2023. Oh, this is exciting. Our little project and our baby has been a nice little release and a change of pace for us. It's been so good. It's been very fulfilling, I think. And also, as you kind of say, it's like an outlet for us where it's never meant to feel like work. We're just having fun, having a chat. And we're so, so amazed and pleased that this this chat has kind of resonated with so many of you. And thank you for listening to us blabber on for hours. Our personalities are vibing so well because the moment you messaged me saying, I'm feeling stressed and I just say, this is not a paid job. If you're feeling stressed, it's too much. You've got other more important things. Yeah, I think so. And we're both that type A perfectionist. So I think sometimes we need that little pep talk to just be like, it's okay, take a breath. Simmer down, we'll get it done. And I'm super proud of myself. My social media game has picked up. I feel like I'm learning from you. You are the one with that background. And I'm pretty impressed with what I've taught myself over the last couple of months. Yeah, you're killing it. And I mean, I never confess to be a graphic designer, but isn't Canva just amazing? Like, what do people do before it, honestly? I don't, I don't know. Do they do word art? Is it PowerPoint? I have no idea. <laughs> that big like rainbow title that we used to do on school projects. Oh, it's iconic. Today we have a chat and as you say, our last one of the year with a mama who has actually been through so much. It really puts things into perspective. It was really eye-opening and I really, really felt for her during this chat. It was and I think it's really great to also raise awareness of realistic postpartum experiences. I mean, we all have very different experiences. Comparison can be the thief of joy. And I think this episode is a reminder to not compare because we are on our own journeys and everyone's postpartum looks so different. But it also does give maybe a little bit more perspective to what challenges people do face. And it really did open my eyes to struggles I didn't even know existed. Yes. And it is one of those things you do also have to remind yourself that just because somebody else has it worse off than you, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to feel those feelings. So yes, we all have different mountains to climb, but it doesn't mean that you should have to just be grateful all the time. You're allowed those coexisting emotions. Absolutely. I think that perspective is so important. And I know sometimes as a mom, we'll feel, I don't know, bad or guilty or whatever it is. And then we layer this judgment on of like, oh, but I shouldn't feel like that because this person has it harder. So that kind of perpetuates this guilt or shame or whatever negative feeling that we're feeling at that time. So very important to have that perspective. I even feel like that 
having two kids, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but sometimes when I thought something was really challenging with Flynn, now having two, I think, oh my God, I had it so easy. So I even give myself this judgment on myself. Do you do that? I literally do that. And then I think, oh, I shouldn't complain because there's people out there with three kids. I know, (laughs) I know. You cannot win with yourself. We are just the worst to ourselves sometimes, aren't we? So bad. All right, perfect. Well, let's get into our chat with Jade and we'll hear all about her struggles through her pregnancy. And yes, it does have a happy ending. Jade is a mum and a business owner. She founded Beautiful Body Society in light of her own postpartum experience. As a health and hormone expert, she's committing to helping women sync their cycles to their lifestyle and fitness. Thank you, Jade, for joining us on the potty. Hi, thank you for having me. Jade, so nice to have you here. Before we dive into our topics today, we have a what would you rather question. And so I've got two kind of silly options for you to choose between. So would you rather your child draw all over your beautiful white walls with crayons or would you rather they throw your keys down the toilet and you have to fish them out? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I would say crayons. You know what? Like I'll just frame it. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not putting my hand in the toilet. Like that's just no. too much. Too I mean, much. it's maybe a husband job, so you know that's he true. Could do that one. Have you guys used those magic eraser white and yellow cloths? They get no. everything off the walls. They're great. I will have to try them. I think I'm worse with walls than my daughter. <laughs> like constantly moving furniture and hitting the wall and stuff, rather than her. She never drew on walls. That's good. <laughs> Touch wood. I always see the bath crayons and my son Flynn loves crayons, but I'm scared that it's the gateway drug. So when they use the bath crayons, they then think that crayons go everywhere. Yeah. So I'm going to have to find out if any other mums have had success with them, but I'm too scared personally. Yeah. And I think it like, you know, allows them to like draw on the walls, you know, where instead of just setting that boundary of like, nah, no drawing on walls, <laughs> paper only. Okay. So Jade, before we dive into your postpartum journey, can you give us a bit of a glimpse into your pregnancy? What was that like? It was interesting. I I think I went in, um, I I was working corporately and and then kind of landed a job that I was always wanting. So I was working part-time in the health and um, fitness, teaching Pilates and whatnot. So I think I always prided myself on, you know, how healthy and fit I was and I would be able to just breeze through pregnancy. I'd seen in gyms a lot of women be pregnant and, you know, always complaining about their struggles. And I was always quite naive to it, like, nah, I'll, I'll be fine. But yeah, that like came crashing down quite heavily. Like, you know, the first off was the morning sickness. And then into my pregnancy, I was really struggling with, you know, the average, like the low iron and the tiredness, those types of things. But then I ended up having, I didn't find out until afterwards, but I had an enlarged heart. So a cardiomyography, I think it's called, but basically it, it does happen in pregnancy, but it basically was, was like causing my my pulse to be super high and my blood pressure to be really low. So, you know, getting out of bed in the mornings took me like an hour from being like, you know, laying flat to standing. And then like, it was a weird sensation of just the blood draining to my legs. Like I just felt like the blood was always stuck in my legs. Um, And that would make me feel really dizzy. And I I fainted a few times. And yeah, so it it was pretty rough. Like I, I had to stop exercising. And I think that caused a lot of like emotional eating because I was very strict with my diet going into pregnancy. And of course, like morning sickness, like I was just 
<laughs> having like chocolate milkshakes and um, potatoes was like my you know my main two food choices and yeah I, I was just it, it was not great and I was quite upset about that like I was really hard on myself and then of course watching my body grow again being part of fitness industry for a long time I, I found it really hard to watch my body grow and to see those changes I put on um, 30 kilos um and that was massive as well for, for me, like mentally to, um, yeah, be like, oh, it's fine. Like, you know, I just kept thinking it's fine. I'll lose it after. Um, but yeah, that also was really hard. <laughs> yeah. And especially working in the fitness industry, I think people don't realize there's one aspect is the weight gain, but just the mental aspect of that can be your outlet to go and burn energy and feel really good and get those endorphins moving. So there's just so many layers there of how that can be such a negative for you. Mm, it really was. And I guess for women and what, what I felt, and I think this relates to so many women, is we go through pregnancy and we, like, I guess I really strived to be in this job that I, like, really wanted for a long time. I got it. I, I did a national um, role as well um, for a short term So I kind of was like very, I guess, like career orientated. I wanted to do all these things. Um, But then when I got pregnant, it, you, you, your mindset shifts. And then I went back after 18 months, I I took longer off because I had such a rough um, pregnancy and then newborn experience um, and just needed extra space. Like I, I, you know, couldn't even think about adding workload on top of that. So it took 18 months off, but then when I went back, I got made redundant six weeks later so it was like it was like another blow i think to the confidence like after um you know having your body change having like this <laughs> extreme newborn experience and then kind of going back to that normality of like okay i've got this like i'm excited to get back to work back to you know speaking with adults and then um yeah had the had the redundancy and that was just another hit to the the confidence so um then venturing into my business, I felt really unworthy um, in the fitness industry, I think as well, because I still had um, the like some like weight on me. And I still um, get that in the back of my mind every now and then, but I've done a lot of work to, to like overcome that um, and to continue put, putting myself out there and encouraging women, you know, to, to kind of, you know, love the body that they have right now, because it, it is forever changing. Yeah, amazing. And I think we need to hold some space for that conversation around body image because it's a really important one. And as you say, pregnancy can be a trigger, certainly postpartum, our bodies change forever. And just getting used to that new body is something that is really difficult, especially when you have ideals, maybe from the fitness industry, or you've struggled with body dysmorphia or any of these sorts of things. We'd love to jump into that conversation another time, but let's go back to, you said a really tricky newborn experience. Let's have a bit of um, a deep dive into that. Can you share a little bit more about what newborn life looks like for you? Mm -hmm. Well, and everyone said these amazing promises to me (laughs) Um, with having a rough pregnancy, you're going to have this beautiful baby. So I was just like hanging on to like all 
um, depth of hope. Uh, but yeah, that didn't happen. I mean, I did get a beautiful baby, obviously. And now my baby is six years old, which is like ridiculous. Like my brain can't even decipher that. It but, goes way too quick. Um, <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> and so I know when we originally had um, the, this chat, Alana, I was like, oh, flooded with all these memories. And um, so basically I had uh, I, I was induced, which was real hard. I was in hospital for three days waiting for her to come. My body was like totally not ready to give birth. I was not dilated at all. Um, had a balloon catheter, which ended up making me dilate finally, but only to three centimeters. And then that was it. I didn't move from three centimeters. It was a long, as I say, labor because I wasn't in labor for a really long time. I was only in labor for 12 hours, but like, I guess that process of building up to, to labor um, was big. And then of course I had um, Imogen, that's my daughter's name. And um, yeah, it, it was really um, a surreal moment. Like I guess all mothers kind of like, you, you just like holding a baby, like, oh my God, I've got a baby. Like this is unreal. Like, you know, and then she, my daughter just had issues feeding. Yeah. My, my baby just wasn't, wasn't eating. Um, So she felt, she like slept for like 12 hours and they were like, no, uh, I, I was kind of calling the nurses. I'm not sure what to do. It's actually my mother-in-law and I talked about her on so many podcasts. So if she ever listens, she'll be like, <laughs> my mother-in-law's got 10, had 10 kids. Um, so wow. She knows what she's doing. She does, yeah. yeah. And so she was the one that said to me, what do you mean you're letting your baby sleep? And I was like, I don't know. Like, And she's like, no, it needs to eat every three hours. And the, the hospital was so busy. Anyway, it kind of like emergency bells kind of went off when I'd said, look, she's actually not waking up. Like, I don't really know what to do. Um, and so then they pushed me into like a, um, a private room. We then had to do like... Um, the three course feed. Um, so at the top of my head, it was like, I had to, I had to pump. Um, and then I had to give her whatever I had, um, pumped. And then, um, she was, um, topped up with, with formula. So I had to try and breastfeed pump and then, then topped up with formula. So, yeah, so that was the beginning of a really intense, like yeah I guess like 18 months for for me and for my husband so we um I was in hospital then after that for another week because they just wanted to send me off um I guess kind of feeding her um but I was syringe feeding her as well as doing the three course top up um and I had to do that every three hours so um that, that was like around the clock and it took me roughly an hour and a half to get like, you know, whatever, like that 60 mils um, into her. So it was, it was a lot. And I think I just remember like getting home, not, not preparing for bottle feeding at all. And I just remember like being so overwhelmed. Yeah, it, it was just, it was a real rough, rough start. And um, she just didn't have enjoy bottle feeding at all or feeding full stop so um, and and also breastfeeding we had the breast refusal as well which was probably a hard one I think for your mental health when they just don't want to go near you yeah and Jade it's one of those things we always talk about you have these ideas of your labor and you have ideas of bringing a baby home so I can totally understand you're not saying you're against bottle feeding in any way. It was just, that's not what your mind had decided you were doing. So it just takes a big yeah. shift in your thought pattern to then rethink, okay, 
plan A didn't happen. So now we need to figure mm -hmm. out what this looks like and what this looks like for our family. I just wanted to ask when you say, you know, she was sleeping so much and she wasn't feeding, are you, I'm just trying to paint a picture. Was it that she was refusing to latch onto the breast or she wasn't able to drink the milk properly? What did that kind of look like for you? Yeah, so she didn't latch on like at all. I remember like my cousin was pregnant at the same time and she had two two other kids. And so she was like, buy these nipple shields, buy this, buy that. As soon as I got home, the hospital put me onto another hospital that was um, a bigger hospital and they had like a breastfeeding day stay. So I, I, uh, I went there and then I booked into a lactation consultant. I had all these things, but basically um, the only way I could feed her was by using my finger in the in the inside of her mouth with a syringe with a really long um like end and putting that in her in her mouth so i had to um pump and then that had to be put into the syringe and then they were like adamant she had to have this this 60 mils and whatever she didn't have from the breast milk i had to top up with formula when we were in the hospital they were in such a rush to get her to feed um it was very much a forced like, and she was like, you know, doing the whole back arching thing. Um, but it was like just trying to force her there. So I guess like from like what zero days old, um, having that force um, and then to the point where they were like not even trying anymore because they were too busy and I didn't know what to do. It was just kind of like, do I let her sleep? Do I not? Like, I think it was like an overnight and they were like, oh, she didn't wake up to feed during the night. And I was like, not that I heard, but apparently the nurse that was on had no notes about what had happened. Um, and so then I just let her sleep um, because being a new mom, I didn't really know that I had to wake her to feed her. No one gave me any of that information. How do you know? As a first time mom, there's no handbook or, you know, we don't know and we rely on the experts around us to guide us and help us and we're so sorry that you didn't have that and everyone should have access to that. That is a bit traumatic really, isn't it? And then as you say, you were feeding Imogen every three hours and it took you an hour and a half for you to fulfill that process. Was that three hours over a 24 hour period? Yeah. So that, so because she was, so then she fell from the 50th percentile to the second percentile, which is actually not even on the percentile chart. So it's like the fifth, I think it finishes at the fifth percentile. So she was like under under that because she lost so much weight because she wasn't eating. So the the process was, okay, we have to feed her every three hours. Obviously when I was in the hospital, it was it was very, it was good because um, I was ringing the nurse and they were coming and supporting me the whole way through. By the time I left, I had this like bittersweet, like I just had to get home. Um, but then I'm like, oh my God, now I can't just call the nurse <laughs> to be like, come and help me. So you mentioned that you did reach out and get some support from a lactation consultant as well. And I know I've seen one in the past. They are just incredible. Did that give you some improvement? So no, the lactation consultant wasn't, she was amazing, but she didn't give us much um, hope. Um, she wanted to do syringing. Um, and then we had, we went to a hospital that was far away from where we were. And then we were passed on to the cast nurse that came out and they didn't have like my backstory or anything. So I gave them the rundown and they were like, oh, wow. You know, like, and then they, that's when they saw she had lost all the weight and, and they kind of, I felt like they kind of knew that 
I was kind of on a slope downhill, I think, because they helped me find um, a lactation consultant. And I did a day stay at that hospital where um, I was like trying to learn to breastfeed. The sad thing was by that time, my milk was like in, I had an, an amazing amount of supply, um, but had a baby that wouldn't drink it. So um, or, or come near me to drink it. So there was um, there was all of that. So the lactation consultant said there's definitely ties. So I had to go to a d- um, dental surgery and she had the laser cut and they cut all of them. So they cut um, her cheeks, um, her lips and her tongue um, because they said that, yeah, she was tied sort of everywhere. And they thought that was the answer to the breast refusal and they and I was again holding on to that hope of once she's had all these cut she'll feed and it will be amazing but it wasn't it it still didn't work (laughs) so um and then so she passed me on to another nurse who was a reflux um consulting nurse and she came out to me and she sort of diagnosed with silent reflux and then just and, and regular reflux because we, we did have a lot of vomiting, um, but the vomiting got more extreme as she got older. So I think because she was having such a tiny amount of milk and, and it was only a small amount, she was able to keep it down. But then what happened is because she had lost so much weight, they were really panicking. Um, I had to see a dietitian and the dietitian um, made us uh, like, you know, have double the amount of scoops of formula to water. So she would go there, work out all the protein, um, because obviously that's really dangerous to do. Like there's all the warnings on the on the packets. Um, but obviously we were led with a dietitian's um support at the hospital to tell us um how much she needed because we were trying to make her gain weight, basically. But that then caused um the vomiting, um constipation and um skin rashes. So yeah, I, I by the time I got to six weeks, um, I had a nurse that came and saw me and she ended up admitting me to um Torrance House. It was really amazing, but it, I was very reluctant to go. Basically, it was it's a house for women who babe whose babies just don't eat, sleep, just don't do the regular baby things. And it's just full of nurses. It's like a hospital setting, but there's like a psychologist there. You do cancelling. You know, my husband was working in the city because it's located in the city. So he came and stayed. But they basically feed you, you know, they're supplied all of your food, everything. So it was a godsend in the end. All the news I was getting was like bad news, like, oh, she's got tongue tie. Oh, now she's got reflux. Oh, she's still not gaining weight. And she at that point was very like screamed all the time, um, didn't didn't sleep well, uh, wasn't eating. So do you know what I mean? Like it was just kind of like all these things. Mm, like, one thing um, after diagnosed. another. Yeah, and then I had the heart condition and then I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, um, the Hashimoto's. So all of that kind of at once um, was, yeah, just a lot of information. So like, you know, even um, my husband went through a tough time because you know, from the outskirts looking in, there were he wasn't able to do anything and he was trying to help, but he was getting like um, very anxious and he wasn't eating right and he wasn't sleeping right. So he was trying to function working, come home and help. 
and yeah so we were just like this this it, it was not fun and hence why we have have never had another baby <laughs> and how is your mental health through this first six weeks because I can just imagine that was just taking blow after blow I think I was I I, I wasn't okay but I don't think I had room to kind of be in that space I think I was just so living um in that flight or flight response um that I I was just I think I was just running off of adrenaline like I was just you just trying to keep this baby alive like so it's just kind of I I was given lots of hope I think and that's what I kept holding on to like I was like okay well okay it must be the tongue tie so we did that and I was excited for it and I was like and then when that didn't work, I was like, okay, well, now we know it's reflux. So do you know what I mean? I just kept yep. like holding on to that. Like and I next week it will be better. Yeah, next week. yeah. Yep. And so I think I was just living day by day, week by week. I, ha- I had a really great support system. I stayed with my mother. We stayed with our ma- my mother-in-law for a bit. And my sister-in-laws, they took it in terms of sleeping over, helping bottle feed. So there was such a big... Um, like support around me and I think that's what I guess made us kind of like just keep going yeah can we just touch on you said that your husband and so understandably I think the husband sometimes can be glossed over in uh, when we think of our postpartum journeys but they're experiencing that postpartum stage too how did your husband get support or what sort of things did he do to make sure his mental health was also accounted for yeah, so I guess staying with with our in-laws was great because he was able to connect with his dad. He's very empathetic as well, so he carries so much on his shoulders. So anything that I was feeling, he was feeling and then I was feeling it back and yeah, I just felt like he was carrying he was probably carrying my my more of the stress and anxiety than what I was. I think because I just had this like one focus. Um, so yeah, so that, that was really tough. It was, it was probably hard to see him in that position as well. Um, because yeah, I, I think we had never been through anything like that. We always had a really pretty easy going relationship. So seeing him like that really, yeah, it got to me, it got to me probably more so than, some of the other things that were going on I think because we knew we had these nurses we had the pediatrician the dietitian like my my mothers and and all of these people there was no one kind of for him so I think that's where that probably got to me a lot more than everything else that was going on I, I think men they really take a lot on and we kind of don't really I, I yeah I, I never really saw that coming if that makes sense (laughs) yeah and maybe now he has become with his experience and supporting you and and Imogen he'd be a great friend to help some of his friends and open some of those conversations that men often can kind of keep to themselves and feel in a way like I'm just supporting my partner but they still have all those feelings and stresses too so you experienced setback after setback when did you start to feel like things were maybe on the uptrend or you were getting a little bit more help or support in in ways that were effective for yourself and for Imogen? So we started solids early. So we started solids at like four months old. I think the the starting the solids early worked really well for us um, because it was something that kind of helped um, a lot of her issues. 
Um, and I remember going to the pediatrician and, and she was basically like, oh, you know, whatever you're doing is working. She's gaining weight. So that was a big breakthrough because I think from then I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel more confident within myself. And I, I think I was doing the research and then activating those plans. And I, I felt like, okay, this, this is coming together. I can now understand my baby. Um, so that was like roughly the four, six months. But I reckon like it probably, if I, if I really think like long and hard, it, it was definitely as she got older, like, you know, those 12 months plus finally when I felt like we had, we could enjoy it because yeah, the, those first 12 months were just, it was, it was such a roller coaster. But we had, I had a nurse that came out every single week for the first 12 months, um, like a CAFS nurse. We put on, we'll put on um, a program and that was great because they came, they, they weighed her, they measured her. It means I didn't have to leave the house. And if I was struggling with something, I just had all my questions ready. Um, and I just kind of knew all oh, the nurses coming at this time. I don't have to leave or ring or do anything. I just knew that that she was coming. So did you feel like, because you've mentioned before, being a first-time mum, it was a bit like, I don't know, was there a kind of turning point where you really started to trust your own instincts as a mum or was it just all too much and too overwhelming? Yeah, and I think it was when I started to really do the research on um, the reflux. I, I guess that was probably the biggest thing for me. So she she was on all this formula and then she was on um, the reflux medication and then she was on laxatives um, and then she was on like this cream for her, for her rash because I guess it was this vicious cycle of, you know, the extra formula was causing the reflux, but then that was helping with the weight gain and then that, but that was causing the constipation. And so it was this bad cycle. Yeah, I started to be like, I've had enough of this. Like, I understand what everyone's saying. And yes, it, it is, it's it's getting us through, but I did need to take that into my own hands. And I think that was that moment where I actually was like, no, I've got confidence in this. And yeah, I was able to to experiment a bit more with, um, I guess when they're so small, you're worried about everything you do you know, are you doing this right? You're doing that right. Whereas I guess when she was getting to that four, six month old, you know, they're starting to be a little bit, they're like little babies by then, you know, like they're not, yeah. they're not as, um, they're Delicate. Not so precious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. So I, I guess by that stage, I wasn't so petrified of her and I was able to go, okay, well, you know, we're, we're starting this food for solid, which is really great for this. And, you know, we need to heal that gut. And so there was so many things that I, I read. So yeah, so once I really put my, like really tried to understand, okay, she's got reflux, what do I do? Um, that, that really helped. So yeah, definitely. And it sounds like you have a phenomenal village around you in the nurses and your mother-in-law and your own mother, your husband, of course. Um, and what were the things that they were doing around you that really made the biggest difference? I'm just trying to even unpack what can people who have a friend going through something similar or a family member, what, what did they actually do that made the most impact for you in that really rough time? Um, sleeping over. <laughs> Just my sister-in-laws would sleep over, my mum would sleep over, and I would sleep in another room and they would feed feed the baby all night. So that was amazing. Like that was really helpful. Also, when I got home from hospital, my meals were there, um, which was really great. And we had people bring food. 
actually is great. It sounds like they were able to really give you that physical hands-off break because we always talk about being touched out and overwhelmed. And I know you've explained the timing that it would take to feed. And if we're thinking of a newborn who often they're awake for close to an hour before they need to go back to sleep, your feeding routine was more than that. So I guess in those early days, that took up that whole time for mm. you, which would have been really overwhelming. Yeah, it, it was It was just all those tiny little things. And, and I think like there was so much information thrown at me. I didn't really want to hear or see um, anything else. Like, And I struggled even like with social media and looking at happy mums um, on there as well because I was just like, this is not like, you know, when you said newborns awake an hour, like that was absolutely not <laughs> yeah. not a newborn um, experience. One piece of advice my mother-in-law actually said to me, she goes, um, with her 10 kids, every single baby was so different. So one of them slept in their room and their bed for longer. One of them uh, was easy in their own bed. Like, and so she said, you just cannot compare anything. And I guess it sounds so of course you can't compare now, but when you're in that moment and you're seeing those highlights on social media and you have a lot of friends that are having these really great experiences, um, yeah, it was really, it was really tricky to mentally relate to that. So I ended up meeting one really great friend. Her baby and my baby, we both had babies that didn't eat um, in, in Toronto House, whereas um, all the others were in there for sleeping. So we kind of bonded over that because um, it was an unusual experience to not, to, for your baby not to want to eat. And especially yeah. when using you, when you're as a mother, that's your really your only job is to feed your baby. So that was hard. So just going back to something we talked about earlier, Jade, was around that loss of confidence postpartum and around that 18-month mark, you did return back to work. How did we know that motherhood changes us um, for the better and also just everything changes? So how did that change kind of evolve your career and what you did in your next chapter, I guess? Yeah, so I went back into that corporate world but then, yeah, that <laughs> didn't go far because within six weeks I got made redundant and it forced me to, I guess I went back, I went for a couple of other jobs and I, I searched around, but I remember having the conversation with my husband, I, I, I don't want to go back. Like I, I need to either do something from home or find a new career path. And at that point, I wanted to learn more about my own health. So I'd had the diagnosis of the Hashimoto, so autoimmune condition. And I really struggled to lose weight after I had my daughter. My body was so different. My, my stress, my my adrenals, my, my thyroid, all these things were working so differently compared to 20-something year old, no stress in their life whatsoever. So I was like thrashing it out at the gym and doing these things and nothing was was working. So I went into, my husband said, why don't you just do some boot camps from home? Like we'll deck out the garage and you can just do some little bits and pieces from home. So I did that. In the meantime, I ended up um, studying uh, nutrition and then into um, some health coaching um, and also doing some more study um, specifically in thyroid hormones and just the way um, like the female body works. And that was, that was great because I started to discover my cycle and I'd had never really had a proper period, um, until I 
really after I had Imogen um, because before that I had implant on and then I kind of got pregnant very quickly. So I'd never experienced really a period. So I did not associate anything with my cycle to do with my mental health, my exercise, my eating habits, my anything. So that's where majority of my study kind of where my interest was. Um, And then I went on to also study um, nutrigenomics. So um, DNA and um, more so in the wellness space. So um, DNA for people's like wellness, which was really interesting. And one thing that happened when I was um, studying, I did my own DNA to as like, you know, to learn more about the genes. And I ended up, um, my mentor at the time was like, oh, did you have trouble breastfeeding? And I said, yes, <laughs> a huge amount. Um, and we, I have this gene, um, which is, it sounds a bit strange, but it's called a non-secreter gene. But basically it, you don't secrete like the sugar molecule that is present in the mucous membranes. And that is the main sugar that's found in breast milk. And it is not, it's, it's affects 20% of the population. There's not a lot of research on it. I'm, I'm hoping over the next, you know, maybe five, 10 years, more things come out on it. But I feel like that's just a really interesting correlation in regards of not having that sugar present in, in the breast milk, if it changed the way it tastes. And of course, for my daughter, if it was actually a big, factor as to why we had that breast refusal because maybe it didn't taste great and yeah she preferred the formula like I remember putting my breast milk in a bottle and formula in a bottle and trying to give it to her and um, she just didn't go near the breast milk bottles. We've deep dived into your postpartum journey which had its fair share of challenges but also great to hear how the village around you made obviously huge impact on that experience for you and really came and supported yourself and your husband when you needed it the most. So thank you so much for being so vulnerable today and really sharing your journey with us. No, thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, it was so lovely to meet you ladies. And hopefully if there is a mama out there that's dealing with reflux, it is okay. <laughs> it'll, it'll eventually be over soon and um yeah just 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 stick it out and hold on to those those little moments of hope and and try to enjoy it because yeah I feel like that's probably one thing is I just didn't enjoy it and I wish I'd taken in more of those moments yeah and Jade I just wanted to uh just mention your Instagram handle it's at beautiful bodies society so I can see on your page you have so much information and I know that you're providing some options of online classes and things. So it doesn't really matter where you are in Australia or in the world. Um, You can jump on and have a look into some of her programs. Perfect. Thanks so much, ladies. Thank you for joining us today at Eat, Play, Sleep. We hope you took something away from our chat today. And remember, we are all doing the best we can. If something is not broken, don't fix it. Our journeys are all so different and so are our children, so we shouldn't compare ourselves. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a subscribe and show us some love on our socials. See you next time.